This is Sandy Krakowski and welcome to A Real Change. This episode of the A Real Change podcast is sponsored by Dry Farm Wines. Now, you've got to hear this. I, because of gut health and other things and trying to keep my 56-year-old body lean and strong, stopped drinking wine a couple years ago because the sugar just kept messing me up and all of my efforts. And then I found Dry Farm Wines. Okay, these are lower sulfites, lower alcohol, sugar-free, grown organically and biodynamically. And to be honest with you, what does all that mean? It means it's paleo and keto friendly. It means it's low carb friendly. It means I can now drink wine and not have my gut get upset. I can now drink wine and not have all my diet efforts be ruined. You guys have to try Dry Farm Wines. And I've got a great offer for you where you actually can get a bottle when you order a bottle for just a penny. My personal favorite happens to be the rosé and the red, but they have so many different selections, including sparkling. You've got to check it out. So go to dryfarmwines.com forward slash a real change for your penny bottle offer. And remember, Dry Farm Wines makes it funner to not only drink wine, but you actually can do it without the guilt. Dryfarmwines.com forward slash a real change for your penny bottle offer. Hey. How are you? I'm so good. I think I've been like a kid in a candy shop waiting for Lane. And he, I don't even realize how excited I am to talk to you and how much you've impacted my life. Oh, awesome. Well, I'm, I'm happy to be on. Thank you for the uh, opportunity. So, Lane, tell us who you are, what you do, what you're passionate about, what you're crazy about, whatever you want to tell us about. <laughs> yeah, so I guess what I try to describe to people, uh, me, it would either be uh, one of two. It's a, uh, I'm a meathead who loves science or I'm a nerd who loves lifting weights. So whichever six of one, half dozen of the other that you prefer. Um, but I, yeah, I got into uh, lifting weights when I was young, about 15 years old, because I was um, uh, bullied pretty badly when I was younger and um, didn't really get attention from girls. So I thought if I lifted weights, that would help with that. It didn't help with either of those two things, um, but it did help. Uh, me improve some confidence and I just fell in love with lifting weights and that kind of led into um, I was I've always been a pretty competitive person I played uh, baseball in high school and uh, when that was over kind of was looking for a competitive outlet to get into and that uh, became bodybuilding for me and then as I got into bodybuilding and kind of you know anybody who's ever walked by the supermarket aisle at the at the at the store sees that um, Use this diet. Use that diet. No, this diet's the best. No, that diet's the best. No, this diet. No, no, no. Come on now. <laughs> even, in same, even in the same magazine, they'll contradict themselves. So, um, you know, I, I decided. Well, I don't really like um, having all these questions. So, uh, I'm going to do more education. So, I, I did an undergraduate in biochemistry, mm. and then while I was doing that, was still into competing, uh, and then decided I wanted to go do a PhD in nutritional sciences. So I did that um, along the way of doing my PhD in nutritional sciences. Um, I did pretty well competitively in bodybuilding. Yeah, I became a professional drug-free bodybuilder 
and then also uh, a pro power lifter, um, kind of my, the other side of that uh, weightlifting coin, if you will. And um, then while I was in graduate school, um, I was writing articles for bodybuilding.com as well as a few other websites, including my own, mm. and uh, kind of got popular uh, doing that and did a video series for bodybuilding.com that was very popular. And that led people to coming to me saying, hey, can you coach me or can you help me with this? And me just kind of taking that up as you know, a demand. This is back before Instagram when not everybody who had a six pack was a fitness coach. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so I kind of got into that and, um, you know, actually really became kind of the first, was in that first wave of legitimate online coaches mm-hmm. um, and started that up around 2005, 2006. So I've been doing that for 15 years. Um, did that for a long period of time, coached people who were very successful. I think I've I think when I went went through my client folders last time, I had 1,700 client folders, so um, 1,700 plus clients. Um, And uh, and then more recently have gotten into, have moved away from kind of the one-on-one coaching, not because I didn't enjoy it, but because it is limited in what you can do. And uh, I really want to try and make a big impact. So uh, now we have a team of coaches who we've trained. So we still offer the coaching through through our company. and then we've written several, you know, my wife and I have written several books. Amazing books. And for those, for those who don't know, my wife, uh, Holly, is a, is, she's, a, she's bad. She's awesome. She's, yeah. she's got a master of dietetics. She's very smart and is also a competitor. Um, and uh, okay. so we've written several books, including Fat Loss Forever, The Reverse Dieting Guide. And then we've also just recently come out with a nutritional coaching app called Carbon Smart Diet Coach, which is doing incredibly well. Yes. Uh, so kind of trying to uh, come up with ways to reach every demographic we can, as well as, um, you know, providing price points that are reasonable for, for anybody. In fact, we just put on a a completely hundred percent free seminar uh, this past weekend, uh, a webinar that we, (laughs) I, I thought, Oh, we'll just do this little webinar with our coaches. And uh, we had, and the guy who was helping me organize it, our marketer, came to me and said, you are a victim of your own success. He said, we have 7,000 people signed up for this, for this webinar. So we actually had to upgrade our Zoom so much that it was pretty expensive for us. Yeah, yeah, 7,000 people. But it went incredibly well. And yeah. obviously got a lot of people uh, aware of the brand and whatnot. And I'm sure we'll make that money back in, in other ways. So um, yeah, just trying to, re, you know, we realized a lot of people have had been struggling through this, you know, the quarantines and, yeah. and then some people have lost their jobs and, you know, obviously just cause you lose a job or you have financial hardship doesn't mean that your goals on, you know, just stop. Right. So we wanted to be able to find a way to, you know, help people uh, and give them that opportunity. So um, yeah, we, we had people saying, wow, you know, we would have paid, I would have paid $300 for this seminar, you know, that kind of stuff. Little webinar, six hours of genius. Yeah. Like, so oh my god, it was like a two-day event. <laughs> <laughs> it was. It was very involved, but uh, you know, we all had a lot of fun. And um, I think what the the coolest part is is, you know, it's it's. I'll, I'll never sit here and tell people I don't care about money. Of course I do. Like I'm a, I'm a human being, and I like to make money. Uh, but more about the money represents that I've done a good job for people because mm-hmm. I, you know, I. There's a lot of people in the fitness industry who. Who, who pander, who, who, um, you know, make up BS. And, you know, I, I can honestly say I've never, I've never lied or distorted the truth in order to make money. And it's probably cost me money in the short term, but 
So I know that the dollars I make or the dollars that we make were earned and it's because we're serving people well. Yeah, yeah. And um, so, yeah, when we see like when I write a book and it does really well or we do an app and it does really well, mm-hmm. that's like the most rewarding or a webinar yeah. does well and see people's feedback. That's the most rewarding thing because you just, it's like you provide something, you work really hard at it and then people love it. And then that's just kind of the best kind of feedback. Absolutely. And what better way to have good fortune with goodwill? I mean, like, what better way is there? Like, make a hell of a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> Impact a hell of a lot of people. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 you always say, I didn't know what to think about all this stuff, so I just decided to figure this shit out on my own. And it's like, then help us all, because we've been trying to figure it out, and it makes no sense. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, for people who follow me online, for those that, that don't, because I think this is a little bit different group than I might normally speak to, um, for those who don't follow me, I've kind of been known as the no bullshit That's it. You know, BS buster <laughs> in the fitness industry. You know, I just don't tolerate it. Um, mm-hmm. I don't tolerate people who make up nonsense. Yes. And um, part of that, some people have called me arrogant because of how emphatically I will go after, you know, people who make up this stuff. And I, I said, you're, you're reading me wrong. This comes from a place of love because I understand how vulnerable the average consumer is because you're playing on people's emotions and their self, you know, their, their, you know, the, their insecurities with their own body. And mm-hmm. I just have a, uh, a just extreme level of disgust with mm-hmm. people who, you know, use that sort of insecurity to sell. I just, yeah. I, I won't do it. I never have. I won't. Um, so- and we even saw, you know, just the, the, in a ways I love the fitness industry, but I also hate the fitness industry Mm-hmm. Um, we saw this when, when COVID came, um, just all the, anybody who just had any kind of moral, immoral compass, we'll call it, um, so all of a sudden they're selling immunity boosting protocols and immunity boosting supplements and this and that. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I, I just, I could not have been more disgusted, uh, mm-hmm. with that sort of thing, just taking advantage of people's, you know, fear. Yeah. And, um, so that's, that's something where, I tell people, I'm like, this isn't coming from a place of arrogance. This is coming from a place of compassion because I have coached and met and talked to so many people who have literally been in tears with how frustrated they are on this journey, feeling like they've been lied to so much. And um, yeah, so that's kind of, uh, that's kind of the the paradigm that I operate from and that we operate from is Mm -hmm. we want to provide good value doing that in an ethical way. And, um, and also, um, you know, I, I don't believe in, you know, I'm not a a well-learned economics person, but I also understand that, you know, money isn't like a pie. It's not like you take, you know, take money from one, it's taking it from somebody else. It's, it's, um, it's much more complicated than that. In fact, people who earn more money tend to generate more money because they can employ people and those people can make more money and that sort of thing. Uh, But I do have a kind of feeling of like, all right, we have a responsibility to get as big of a piece of this pie as we can, because if we have more of this pie, we can reach more people. And it's more likely that they're not going to be influenced by some of these sleazy scumbags who are going to steal their money and and sell them lies. So good. And you know what? It's something that being driven by that disgust with being someone I mean, I, I look at you, I've been following you and watching your videos since 2008, 2009. Oh, wow. And, and yeah, and come from a background of competing in my 20s and different yeah. things like that. This isn't really about my story. But 
seeing that frustration when you're looking for real answers, especially if you're looking for real answers that your doctor didn't have, or it doesn't make sense, or your physiology is not like what they talked about in that book. Um, or if you have variable things coming into play, you know, like gut health or autoimmune or age or whatever, or destroying your body from steroids and years of competing or years of no carbs and having that frustration and being a light literally and being, I've done all the research, let me help you. Will you speak into that, that, you know, I, I heard you say that sustainable caloric deficit isn't one size fits all, just like our physiology isn't one size fits all and your life isn't my life and age isn't even a real big key in everything. Will you speak into that? Especially, uh, I'd say 65, 70% of my audience are women mm -hmm. between 35 and 50. Mm -hmm. And we've got some great men in business and stuff like that, but everybody's looking for that. How can I feel better? How can I have more energy? How can I sleep better? And I go and read all these different things and think, oh my God, <laughs> now I have a migraine from all this information. Yeah. How do I get rid of my migraine? Sure. Help us with that. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to go in a little bit of my background and I'm going to, I'm going to bring this around so that I'm not just some abstract scientist in a lab coat who doesn't know anything about this stuff. So well, let me say this too. One of the biggest reasons I, I love you and Holly and your mission is because you're not just gym rats. <laughs> you're not just people who work out intensely. I mean, I like to work out too, yeah. but you're scientific. Yeah. So you're not guessing while you're working out. So from that perspective, I want everybody to hear what you're about to say because it it really changes the paradigm of receiving the information you have. Yeah. So I think um, the first thing is uh, when I, so if we back up, everyone likes to feel special or that they have a special case and then that sort of thing. And um, I kind of came from the background of thinking, all right, if I do all this research, I'm going to come up with some groundbreaking, you know, difference in physiology or some diet is going to emerge or some, some, and I was really disappointed, <laughs> you know, like um, the, find it. <laughs> yeah, the research, you know, it, it was just really, and I think, one of the things that happened to me is from being having my hypotheses crushed so many times over the years was actually a good thing for me. Yeah. Now, when anybody makes claims, if somebody makes a claim, my first thought that goes through my head is, hmm, wonder if that's bullshit. That's <laughs> where, I, where I start from. I try, to, I try to go from a place of trying to disprove everything. And then if it withstands, if it withstands that test, then I can be very confident about how robust it is, right? So going back to, you know, economics to relate to your audience a little bit more in business. So we have a lot of people, it's, it's the same thing. So people say, you'll hear what, what, what works in business? Well, the things you don't want to hear are, it's going to be really hard. It's going to take a real, it's going to take 10 times as long as you want it to. Suck. <laughs> you're going to, you're going to be so frustrated that you're going to want to quit. And times. <laughs> every day it's going to be stressful. It's got all these sort of things. But if you keep plowing along and obviously you need to have a good plan as well, mm -hmm. but if you keep plowing along and you follow certain principles, your chances of success are much more likely. Now what gets the headlines? 
Three <laughs> quick ways, to, three easy ways to make six figures from home while working four hours a week. Step by step. <laughs> yeah, get, get out of here. Get out of here. Now, are there people that, that stumble into that and get lucky? Yes. But that's like winning the lottery. That's, yeah. that's not what typically works, right? The lottery might be easier. Right, yeah, yeah. That's the same thing. You know, I, you know, take this weekend course on flipping houses for no money down and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Like, no like, work. Why you sleep? Don't you guys really think if it was that easy that just everybody would be doing it? You know, so when it comes to nutrition, um, it's very much similar, right? Mm -hmm. So what people don't want to hear, and this is what I spelled out kind of very in painful detail in my book, Fat Loss Forever, yeah. is that there is no magic diet. There is no magic program. Um, weight loss, specifically keeping weight off, if you're, that's your goal, is very difficult. And the statistics are really scary if you look at that. But there are ways to do it. But it boils down a lot more to behavior than it does X's and O's on what you do with your diet. Because those of you out there, if you've done a diet before, why did that diet fail? Did it fail because you didn't have the perfect amount of protein in your diet or because you ate after a certain point or, or because you, you, you ate before this hour or after this hour or you had carbs? No. We can find, like people, for example, let's, low carb is very popular right now. Right. Let's just, let's just, people say, well, you know, you can't lose weight if you're eating carbs. You've got to cut carbs. We know that's not true because we can find millions of examples of people who lost weight eating a diet containing carbohydrates. So mm -hmm. we know that's not true. It's just not. Now, vegan is super high in carbs. What's that? Vegan, vegan yeah. is super high in carbs. Sure. And we, we see plenty of people who lose weight and, and get healthy on a vegan diet. We also see people who lose weight and get healthy on a low-carb diet. Mm -hmm. So certainly that is a tool, right? Mm -hmm. And so bringing this back to what actually makes a difference for weight loss and health? Well, if you actually examine the scientific literature, so first off, no matter what anybody says, calories matter, okay? Now, I'm going to break down calories in versus calories out because this is very misconstrued by a lot of people. Um, a lot of people, I hear things like, well, I counted my, I tracked calories and I didn't lose weight. Okay, well, you're talking, that's like saying I put together a budget and I didn't save money. Well, you can, you can have a budget, but if you're not actually doing anything with it, um, you're not going to save money, right? So tracking calories is simply referring to monitoring the situation. It doesn't, you're not making, um, you know, a, a, any kind of um, intervention. Now, I've also had people say, well, I ate in a calorie deficit and I didn't lose weight. No, you didn't. If you didn't lose weight, you didn't eat in a calorie deficit. Now, you may have ate, eaten in what you thought was a calorie deficit mm. or what a calorie calculator online told you was a calorie deficit, mm. but it wasn't if you didn't lose weight. And that, I mean over the long period of time. Like if you didn't lose weight in a week, that means nothing because your weight can fluctuate a lot. Correct. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go into this a little bit more. The other thing is people don't realize is that calories in versus calories out are not independent variables. So how many calories you eat also affects how many calories you burn. So for example, if you overfeed somebody, they will actually uh, burn more calories per day. Now, if you're overfeeding, you're always going to end up storing more than you're burning, right? Mm -hmm. But let's look at it from a financial perspective. Um, people, let's say somebody was, when they're in their early careers, making $50,000 a year. 
-hmm. and they were living on that. Mm -hmm. Now, 20 years later, they're making $2 million a year. Are they still living on the same budget as they were when they were taking, when they were taking in 50,000? Probably not. Probably not. They probably (laughs) loosened up the reins on that because they can afford to be a little bit more inefficient with their money because they have a bigger budget. Right. That is exactly the same thing that happens with your metabolism. If you are eating more calories, your body can be less efficient with those calories. Mm -hmm. By the same token, if that millionaire loses their job and all of a sudden is relegated to, you know, $100,000 a year job, Mm -hmm. it's by a lot of people's standards, that's still a really good income. But they're going to have to change their lifestyle because they're going to have to have tighter constraints in their budget if they want to be able to still make progress. Right. Calories in, calories out is the same way. If you diet, if you're in a fat loss phase, your metabolic rate will reduce. Now, it won't reduce as much as the calories you reduce necessarily. Mm-hmm. So this idea that there's a starvation mode where you're eating so little that you're storing fat, that doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. We only need to go look at uh, concentration camp victims to see that that is absolute nonsense because those people did not get fat. They, di- they, they actually starved to death, right? Yeah. So we know that's not true. But what does happen is those people have, who eat in a calorie deficit over a long period of time or who are fasting or starve, they do have a much slower metabolic rate than what you would predict based on the amount of body mass that they have, mm. which means that your body, if you are somebody who diets on and off for a long period of time, you may have a lower energy expenditure than you predict. So bringing this back, I eat the calorie deficit and lose weight. Well, if you're somebody who has a long history of dieting, what you have told your body from an evolutionary perspective, if you're, if you're thinking about from the body, food is scarce, food is scarce, food is scarce. Mm -hmm. So we need to be as efficient as possible with these calories we do take in. Mm -hmm. And I think what a lot of people don't realize is, is it's also the way people kind of weight cycle and calorie cycle. So a lot of people will be, what happens, right? People start a new diet, they're real gung-ho, it's January 1st, Monday, you know, whatever, and they're gung-ho for a few weeks, and then they have a party they go to, and they kind of blow out, and then that parlays in the next day, because the party was Friday night, they wake up the next day, they don't feel so good about themselves, they feel like they've kind of blown it, well, I might as well let myself have what I want this weekend, whatever, and then you kind of get in this thing where there's always an excuse to, to sort of have that sort of thing come up, right? Mm-hmm. And people tend to lose weight slowly and put it back on quickly. That's kind of how it goes. Yeah. Um, and when you're doing that, you're also not und- undoing those metabolic adaptations that occur that are slowing down your metabolic rate. Um, those take time to undo, just like they take time to implement. So mm-hmm. I don't want to make I don't want to scare people out there to make it seem like oh, if you go into calorie deficit tomorrow, your metabolism's already slower. That's not how it works. No. Um, so. Uh, but if you put on weight very quickly, it's not like, you know, like, let's say you, it took you, you know, four weeks and you lost 10 pounds, right? Mm-hmm. But you put that 10 pounds back on in a week. It's not like you undo all those adaptations over four weeks in just one week, just because you put all the weight back on. No. So I think part of that is how people cycle calories. Now, getting into what, what can we actually do about this? What actually, what actually works, right? Well, if you look at the scientific literature, because about 90 to 95% of people fail a diet if we look at failure as, okay, they lost weight, but they didn't keep it off, right? Yeah. Um, and if we look at that over a long period of time, like three, four years. Right. So who are the five to 10% who actually do keep it off? Because there are people who do keep it off. So what do they have in common? 
Well, one of the, the, the major things they have in common, the top two things are self-monitoring and cognitive restraint. So when it comes to self-monitoring, it means people, and again, I'm not saying this has to be every single person who does this, but on the whole, on average, these are the things they do. You can find exceptions for every rule, but these are the things they do as a group. Right. That is, they weigh themselves pretty frequently because what happens, right? You have a bad night eating out, uh, whatever. Um, I don't want to jump on the scale tomorrow. I don't want to see, you know, we kind of hide our heads in the sand, whatever. Um, but if you hop on that scale and you see you're up three pounds, you go, oh, we need to pull back in a little bit, right? Yeah. We need to drink now, water in the bathroom. <laughs> right. So there's that. It's kind of that, that feedback mechanism. They also tend to practice some form of cognitive restraint. Now that can be counting calories. Uh, that could be, you know, reducing carbohydrate intake. That could be eating only whole foods. That could, but it's some form of restraint. Mm -hmm. So the problem with a lot of people is they want the results without the restraint, right? They want to go, well, how can I eat what I want, however much of what I want, whenever I want? Yeah. And that's just not going to work, right? <laughs> so you can, you can eat. So if you want to eat the foods you want to eat, you're, you're going to have to limit how much of them you eat. If you want to not limit how much you eat, you're going to have to limit the foods you eat, right? Mm -hmm. So what I mean by that is if you, you know, some people will say, well, I went on a ketogenic diet or a plant-based diet and I, I ate more and I lost weight. Well, you may have felt like you were eating more because it was more satisfying, but I can promise you that you were eating less calories. Yes. I can promise you that. Yes. So there's those, uh, they also, they exercise regularly. That's a huge portion of it. So um, exercise alone isn't a powerful weight loss tool, um, but there's a lot of uh, research to suggest that uh, people who exercise have better sensitivity to satiety signals, meaning um, mm. their brain is wired better to tell them, hey, you're full when, yeah. when, they, actually, when they eat. So yeah. for example, they, there was a study in the 1950s where they looked at uh, Bengali workers and they looked at people who were sedentary lightly active, moderately active, and heavily active. And from lightly active to, to heavily active, they pretty much linearly increased their calorie intake to match their activity level. And these yep. are people that weren't even monitoring. This was just yeah. intuitively. Right. What's funny is the sedentary people ate more than the lightly active and moderately active group. Wow. So being sedentary actually kind of appears to unwire some of the things in our brain that help us deal with satiety and fullness. So I tell people exercise is important because it's going to give you better tools to help manage everything. And plus it's honestly one of the most, like you can lose zero weight. And if you start exercising, you will become healthier. Well, you so, feel like crap when you're trying to exercise and you know, you just ate two bags of potato chips. <laughs> you just get tired of feeling like crap at the gym. <laughs> right. Right. So there's that. There's also other things. Uh, people who lose weight and keep it off, they tend to not snack very much. So mm -hmm. snacking is actually one of the biggest. I'm not saying you can't have snacks, right. but the problem is a lot of people unmindfully snack. They just grab handfuls of stuff. So one of the other powerful statistics is out there is looking at underreporting. So when you look at how many people, how many calories people actually consume yeah, versus yeah. how much they say they consume, it's massively different. Yeah. About 50% if you're talking about overweight or obese people. So they brought people in. They actually had people come into a metabolic ward who they who self-identified as people who had trouble losing weight on low calories. Right. And the first thing they did was they had them 
they actually tracked how much they ate versus how much they reported. And in most cases, it was a 50% difference. Like control portion size and everything. Right, right. So now the problem with this is that feels like a personal attack, right? That feels like somebody who might, who might be in that situation would feel, they're, somebody, they're saying I'm lying. But that's not necessarily true. I don't think most people lie. I think most people eat unmindfully. We don't bike. We don't count licks, bites, yeah. snacks. Uh, some people don't track. Handful of nuts versus seventeen. Handful of nuts. <laughs> three hundred calories. Handful of nuts. Three hundred calories. A healthy snack. Um, yeah. We also have, you know, uh, you're baking and you take little licks and bites of whatever you're cooking, right? Um, that half that half-eaten candy bar. Oh, no, that didn't count. Yeah, uh, yeah. Full, and then I see people also who like are trying to diet who kind of try to hack their way around things. That, oh, I don't count my vegetables. Well, okay, but then they also don't count a full pack of sugar-free gum, you know, because yeah, yeah. calories. Well, yes, it does. Yeah, yeah. So when you start accumulating these things throughout the course of the day, um, you see drastic differences in how much you're reported. And the other thing is people unless you've had the experience of weighing out what you eat and mm -hmm. looking at what serving sizes actually are, yeah. I understand how people would underreport. In mm -hmm. fact, I'm surprised it's not more because if you ever want to be depressed, go look at a serving size of nuts or peanut butter <laughs> or cereal or ice cream for the love of God. Calories yeah. Two bites. <laughs> I, I want to see who actually eats a serving of ice cream. You know what I mean? Like a, <laughs> one serving. The most people, I will tell you, most of you out there who have never kind of tracked your, your calories, if you're eating a bowl of ice cream, you're having four servings of ice cream. Yeah. So, so people say, well, the, the ice cream setup was 150 calories <laughs> for, for that much. Yeah. Who had 600, right? Yeah. So I think that part of that is an education thing where people just don't mm -hmm. realize what's in food. Mm -hmm. And uh, part, and then also just to give you an idea, it's not a personal attack because dietitians underreport. Dietitians mm -hmm. underreport by over 200 calories a day in studies. <laughs> they in, in another study, they took people who also identified as I have a slow metabolism, I can't lose weight. They took them in, they put them on 1,500 calories, and almost every single person lost weight. Wow. So. When, when it's controlled, when it actually is what you say it is, people do lose weight. So calories in, calories out, well, coming back to that, it matters. Now, the other thing to keep in mind is a lot of people say, well, I don't understand. There's got to be one diet. You know, What about the ketogenic diet? What about this and that? So to date, we have over 30 studies now that have measured either fat loss or yeah. energy expenditure looking at uh, – Protein and calories equated. It's important to equate protein. Yes. It's important to equate protein because protein has a higher, th what we call thermic effect of food. So protein actually increases your energy expenditure. So protein is actually probably a really good tool for uh, weight loss for three reasons. One, it increases energy expenditure. Two, it helps you maintain your lean body mass, um, which is important for your, maintaining your metabolic rate. And three, protein is very satisfying. Uh, yeah. Most people, you know, Try eating 600 calories from chicken breast and let me know how you go, right? Now try eating 600 calories from ice cream and that's a breeze, right? So uh, I'm, not, I'm not saying you should go out and eat 600 calories from chicken breast, but I'm just, I'm making the point. Um, so when we look at, now if we look at carbohydrates versus fats hmm. in the diet, hmm. and look at these studies, the research shows virtually no difference 
in mm. terms of fat loss or energy expenditure, which is actually a wonderful thing because that means you can do what you prefer, right? Yeah. And what I'm getting back to is we always want to, people want to feel special. They want to feel like maybe they have a special case or their physiology is different. And we hear people say, well, this diet didn't work for me, but the ketogenic diet worked for me. And my physiology must be different. No. What is more likely is this is the diet that tripped your, what I call compliance algorithm, that this was the diet that for whatever reason you found easiest to stick to. Yeah. And when we look at the health benefits of diets, this is what the statistic that actually blows people's minds. There was a meta-analysis done um, back in 2014. Now, meta-analysis, for those, for those who are not familiar with the term, means they look at, they take a, they basically look at every study in existence and they look at, okay, we want to narrow things down and ask a specific question. Right. Now, which studies that are out there in the universe currently address this question? And they have what's called inclusion criteria. Right. So, like, for example, this, this study looked at, okay, we want calories equated protein equated, and we want to see um, differences in health markers between carbohydrates and fats being varied, right? So they found, I think it was like, I want to say over 50 studies. Um, So they combine, what they do is they combine all that data, right? They combine all that data and they look at, okay, what does the, what does the overall consensus of the data say? Because individual studies are prone to bias, they're prone to um, you know, mishandling of data, they're prone to misinterpretation. Right. But when you have 50 combined together, now you have a much more, you know, robust data set to deal Absolutely. with. I think it was like over 20,000 subjects uh, wow. in total. What they found was 95 to 99% of the health benefits, the health improvements from diets could be completely explained by the weight loss. Hmm. So, which means the conclusion we can draw is the best diet for you as an individual is probably the one you can stick to, mm. right? So people get all, I had a, a gal who messaged me. She was, uh, she was obese. She was 400 pounds. And she said, I'm wow. just so confused. I started the ketogenic diet, you know, this and that. And so I talked to her and I said, well, you know, let me ask you this. Could you see yourself eating the ketogenic diet two years from now? She said, no way. Mm. I said, okay, well, then I think we need to take a step back and come up with a more sustainable plan for you. Because if you can't sustain that, the research says you're just going to put it back on, right? So, yeah. so that is where we need to start. We need mm-hmm. to start with what do you, people, the problem is people lose weight on a specific diet and they become very um, enthusiastic about that diet, which is fine. It obviously worked for them. But then they, they kind of try to do mental gymnastics to justify why it's the best diet for everyone. Yeah, yeah. I've never, I've never understood this. Like, to validate maybe? I, like yes, I, I found think that's part of it. I was a victim and now I'm not. <laughs> right, right. And I think part of it's enthusiasm. They want to help other people and I get it. But yeah, let's yeah. not do mental gymnastics. And I've already, I've said to people, I'm like, why is, I just prefer this. Why is that not good enough? It should be good enough. Yes. Um, and I'll give you an example. I do something called uh, calorie cycling, meaning I have like uh, some days I have higher calories, some days I have lower calories, but I'm still looking at my weekly calorie budget as it were, right? Yeah. Um, people ask me, well, do you think that's better? And I said, no, there's no evidence that it's physiologically better. I just prefer it. I like knowing that I can have higher calories on my weekends 
Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm willing to forego a little bit lower calorie during the week in order to have that, you know, mm-hmm. so I can have some alcoholic beverages. Oh, by the way, a lot of people don't track their calories from alcohol. That's like, what? Another thing people don't like, people are mind blown out is a lot of people don't track their calories on weekends. They say, oh, I eat 1500 calories. And then they don't realize that they're eating 3,500 on Saturday and Sunday. Yeah. And they're not losing they wonder why? Well, you're not eating 1,500 calories. You're actually eating 1,800 calories per day on average. So that's mm-hmm. why you're not. That's not why you're not losing weight. Oh, good. Uh, so you're in Donut Friday. <laughs> exactly. So th- these are a lot of the things that are out there. So I think getting back to the original question, I realize a very long answer. Oh no, it's great. I'm loving it. I'm learning. Yeah. So getting back to the original question, I think that we all like to feel enthusiastic about our diet, that sort of thing. But find what works for you in terms of what feels the easiest. So mm-hmm. what some people have said that they've said, I did the ketogenic diet. It didn't even feel like I was dieting. It just felt easy. Great. That's probably a great option for you. Other people have done the ketogenic diet and said, I couldn't stand it. It was the worst, you know, six weeks of my life. I felt terrible. I felt so deprived. Well, it's not going to be a good option for you. Right? No. Other people have said the same thing about a vegan diet. Oh, I felt so satisfied. It was so filling. Great. But if you're like eating a vegan or a plant-based diet and you're eating, you know, v, you know, plant-based Oreos and a bunch of processed food, <laughs> you know, you're kind of missing the point of it. You know, yeah. when I say, I want to address that too. When I say processed food, people want to get bent out of shape about this too. There's nothing about the processing itself that makes that food terrible. It's just very calorie dense. Mm-hmm. And the research shows that the, the reason people add weight when they eat processed food is because they just eat more calories. Um, people <clears throat> have tried to scapegoat individual nutrients. They, you know, it's, it's sugar, mm-hmm. it's carbs, it's fats, mm-hmm. it's this, it's that. When you do, when you start looking at the research data, you're going to be really underwhelmed when, when you look at it. I mean, even like sugar, which everybody knows is the worst thing in the world for you. Well, there was a study done a while back that looked at a hundred grams of sugar intake per day versus 10, um, and had people in a calorie deficit. And guess what? Both groups lost the exact same amount of fat because they were on the exact same amount of calories. Mm-hmm. Now, am I saying you should eat a lot of sugar? No. I think eating a lot of sugar is probably a bad idea because it's not very filling. But you get people go too far in one direction. They go, oh, sugar is probably bad, so I'm not going to eat fruit. I, here's what you're never going to hear from – I have never in my all my you know 20 years of doing this heard, oh, I just – I can't stop eating apples. I don't know what's wrong with me. I just, you know, they're just so, they're so tasty. I just can't stop eating them. I bought strawberries last night and I feel (laughs) the runs, but that's about it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I, 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 no, I like apples. I think they taste good, but you know, you have one or two of them and you're, you're, you're good, you know, but you know, you have a slice of apple pie. You could have five more, you know, like it's, it's, it's not, you know, sugar or fat or salt. It's all of those things combined together that makes food hyper palatable. And what you really, and that's like people say, well, I'm addicted to sugar. But they tell you they, they can't stop eating cookies and cakes and this. Well, you're actually, you're actually getting just as many calories from fat in those. So are you really addicted to sugar or is it you're just addicted to hyper palatable foods, right? Yeah. So. Or the rush. What's that? Or the rush that comes with the sugar. Yeah, I mean, there's, 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 you know, there's all sorts of different ways to do this. So, 
again, my, where I came from and what the, the approach that I kind of uh, started advocating for was flexible dining, mm-hmm. which now I've kind of backed off being so outspoken for it because I do think there are people that it's probably not appropriate for. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, you know, I track my calories and my protein, and my carbs and my fats. And as long as I meet those, and my fiber goals, you know, get enough micronutrients in. As long as I meet those, um, I don't really care what foods I get them from. And that's, you know, people are saying, well, you can't be healthy and do that. I said, well, uh, check out all my blood markers. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm very healthy. Yeah. Um, you know, people don't realize that unhealthiness is an overall lifestyle. You know, if you're, if you're somebody who's training hard two hours a day, and you know, you're controlling your calories and you don't smoke and you don't drink or you don't drink too much and all this, and you limit your stress, you get enough sleep, but you have 70 grams of sugar per day. Are you really unhealthy? No, no, you're fine. You know, it's, it's, but most people, those, those variables aren't isolated. Most people it's, if they are less, if they don't exercise, they're also less likely to monitor their calories. They're more likely to smoke. They're more likely to drink. All that stuff kind of goes together typically. Mm. So you've got to look at the overall lifestyle um, that people go through. But what I would implore people is, you know, try out different diet methodologies and find what feels easiest for you. And like, for example, intermittent fasting, that's another one. Some people say I'm not hungry in the morning, so I don't eat till my wife's like that. My wife doesn't eat her first meal till around noon or one usually. Mm-hmm. Um, now what happens is people lose weight doing that and they go, see, Fasting is magic because it boosts your metabolism and does this. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Actually, fasting, if anything, your your metabolic rate drops during the fasting period, which is fine. That's normal. Mm -hmm. Um, But it is a tool to limit your calorie consumption. Now, you may feel like it's easier. You may feel like you're eating more because, hey, you're not eating for 16 or 18 hours. So you're you're able to eat more in a shorter period of time, which makes you feel more satisfied but it doesn't work for everybody and not everybody feels that way. And I think, you know, if we could just have more honest discourse about why diets work and it does, I mean, you may not, like I always say, you may not count calories and you can lose weight, not count calories, not counting calories, but calories always count no matter whether or not you count them or not. That's so good. Okay. So now I'm going to ask you some, a few like, like rapid fire questions. Some that I've experienced, some that I know people have asked me, I have no intention of becoming an expert on all of this, even though I've had a huge transformation, which is why I love bringing people like you to really answer some of the hard questions because what worked for me might not work for somebody. Um, One of the questions that comes in a lot because I battle Crohn's disease and rheumatoid arthritis. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so getting back into the gym six days a week, weaning off of 140 milligrams of Oxycontin and 90 milligrams of prednisone, mm. uh, that was never abused. My body just was tolerant and there was pain. Yeah. yeah. There's a healing that had to happen to my adrenals and my thyroid because all those medications just hamper the best way for me to burn calories. So... I mean, again, it's not so much about my story, but I've had a lot of people have interest in that, especially women in their 40s or 50s. And I'm wondering, what would you say as far as like the best way to eat? Like I've studied a lot of what you've said about refeeding and stuff like that, gone from just 30 carbs a day to being able to go even up to 200, Mm -hmm. still be able to see abs and, and feel great. 
what would you say that when someone is tracking their hormones, their thyroid's off, or they find all these different things are off, and they're, they're, or if they're not, you know what I mean? Like if you're doing all the right thing, but your gut is a mess, or you're doing all these things, but your estrogen and testosterone or whatever, whether you're male or female, is off, or like me, you're, you're weaning off of something, so your body has to readapt. Have you coached with people like that or what would be some of the scientific? Because I love your scientific approach. This is not a how I feel or what works yeah. for me. It's scientific why it works for me. Yeah. So I think specifically with like prednisone, for example. So prednisone, one of the problems is it causes uh, massive water retention. That's, I mean, we it, anecdotal reports say anywhere from, you know, five to 15 pounds of, of water retention can be normal. So that's that's one thing that's problematic. So you're not not even dealing with fat gain, but just a lot of water gain. Mm-hmm. Um, you also have, um, I think, uh, prednisone also increases hunger. So yeah. you're, you, you may be, whether you realize it or not, eating more calories throughout the day and not realizing it. Um, and you don't feel very good on it. Um, so typically what happens is, again, people think it, it you know, well, this means my, it lowers my metabolism. Uh, it, I, I haven't seen evidence that it lowers metabolism, but... If you don't feel good, you don't move as much. Now, people hear that and they think, well, he's talking about exercise. Not necessarily. When I say move, a a large portion, up to about 25 to 30% of the calories you burn during the day are just from, see that like me just moving back and forth in my chair here? Like you're nodding your head. And, and keep, <laughs> keep moving. Yeah, exactly. So that's actually, a, that's called non-exercise activity thermogenesis. And it's actually a large portion of what we burn throughout the day. And there's actually research to show that people that we call you know, fast metabolisms or obese resistant have, when they overfeed, they actually just increase their meat by quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And people who aren't obese resistant or obese prone actually tend to not increase their, their small movements throughout the day. So if you ever met anybody who fidgets a lot, mm-hmm. usually you might notice that they tend to be lean. You don't, you don't really meet very many obese people who fidget a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's part of it. So that may be one thing, right? Um, as far as hormones go that affect, uh, cause so here's the, the straw man argument. Some people make with me, they're like, well, your calories in calories out neglects hormones. That's actually not true because no if a hormone has an effect on weight loss or weight gain, it does so through modifications of either calories in or calories out. So for example, when we look at thyroid hormone, when we look at thyroid hormone and people with hypothyroidism, there's evidence that hypothyroidism can lead to approximately a 25% suppression of your basal metabolic rate. So your basal metabolic rate isn't your total daily energy expenditure. Those are two different things. Uh, but your BMR is about 60% of the daily calories you burn. So if you're impeding that by, you know, fourth, that can be 15, you know, around 15% of the daily calories you burn a drop in that, right? So instead of burning 2000 a day, maybe you're burning 1700. That can be the difference between losing weight and gaining weight or losing weight, not losing, or um, not losing weight, losing weight. Right. So, that's part of it. Now, what I will say, and some people will probably get mad at me for saying this, is a lot of people claim they have hormonal issues and they don't actually go get them measured. Now, that's a different issue entirely. Yes. If you think you have something hormonal going on, go and get them measured. But some people don't want to do that, and I'll tell you why. It's the same people people don't want to do a budget. It's because no. they don't want to see what's happening. Because God forbid it actually be a problem that they're eating too much or spending too much, right? Um, 
So I think that that's, that's part of, by the way, I've been guilty of that when it comes to budgeting, uh, I, when, I, when I was not doing well financially. So um, just putting a certain level of empathy there. And this is not coming from a place of judgment. It's coming from a place no, of- No, I've done both. I've done where I haven't had anything checked. And for the last three years, it's checked every quarter. Right. Yeah. So, and I think that's important. If you think there's something going on, absolutely important to, to get absolutely. it. Yeah, um, don't- but I, I had a friend of mine who, um, she's, uh, she's Kuwaiti and she actually helped me organize uh, some seminars in Kuwait. Um, very smart woman. She's a PhD. Um, but she was finding herself gaining weight when she started a, a certain medication. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to disclose it, but yeah, yeah. Uh, when we, we kind of went over her numbers and we got down to, well, like we were even down to, well, are you, because I trusted her that she was telling me what she was consuming and how much weight she had gained. And I said, well, are you, are you, could it be possible that you're eating at night, like sleep eating and not realizing it? So we actually even put up a camera in her kitchen to make sure that wasn't the case. Well, what she went back and did was she actually tracked her step counts uh, from, from, from her old data. She never looked at it. And she, and she found that she was just moving way less when she was on that old medication. And when she got off of it, without even realizing it, she started moving more. Wow. And she actually like told me a story. She's like, yeah, I was so weak and felt so tired that uh, I, didn't, I couldn't even break open a bag of chips. I had to get a pair of scissors out to open a bag of chips. She's like, so it makes sense that I put on 20 pounds because I just wasn't moving. So yeah. I so- think that's something people should keep in mind as well. Like, are you, is it your metabolism slow or are you just subconsciously, not consciously, because people say, well, I go to the gym for an hour. I still do. Okay, right. but subconsciously the rest of the day, are you moving less? And that's why I think a step counter is actually helpful because yeah. it kind of, you go, oh, wow. You know, I've, I've seen it with clients. I, I had, uh, we had a client with Team BioLane who started her diet. Within two weeks of starting her diet, her steps went from 8,000 a day average to 4,300. <laughs> so it's, wow. it's, it's, it's important. Now, so again, it's if, if, if a hormone has an effect on your weight, it's either through energy expenditure or it's through uh, eating more, right? And, um, you know, it's, it's not, you're not making something from nothing, right? Like same thing with finances. If you're saving more money, it's either you're making more money or spending less money or a combination of both. Money is not just appearing in your bank account out of thin air. That's, that's, you know, now, uncle Sam didn't come in and say, Hey, sorry about that. We, we actually felt like you worked really hard. So we're going to give you more money. Just here you go. Here's 10 grand, you know, like that, that doesn't happen. So, um, that, that's what I, w- I would say is like, make sure that your hormones is that you're actually having them checked. And if there is a problem, then you, well, you can get that, you know, you can get a prescription and you can get that fixed. Right. right. Yeah, yeah. And they showed that people who supplement with thyroid hormone who have hypothyroidism, if they normalize that thyroid hormone levels, it normalizes their metabolic rate. So it is something that's a fixable problem, but if it's, you know, if you get those checked and it's, it's, you're not, you're not seeing any problems or anything like that it's more likely that something if you, and if you're not feeling good, it makes sense. If you're not feeling good, maybe you're just moving less and it could be that simple. Now, just because it's simple doesn't mean it's a simple fix because if you feel bad, that still means you feel bad, right? I don't want to move. (laughs) Right. So um, you may need to eat less calories. And when I say that people, people get, well, I'm already eating 1800 calories a day. Well, maybe for you, that's, that's too much. Right. So when I so again, it comes across as the verbiage people use, like, right? So, and that's one of the things about energy balance that offends people, mm. calories in, calories out. 
what they hear is you're eating too much. Yeah, yeah. But they already perceive a high level of effort. So it comes to them as a place of judgment, which is why I say again, telling somebody eat more, move less is about as helpful as telling somebody, uh, well, spend less. Yeah. Right. Make more money and spend less. Thanks for the tip. Right. This is why uh, I actually um, I'm already tapped out. <laughs> right. I actually um, one of the um, I read uh, Dave Ramsey's book years ago, mm -hmm. and I actually really liked it because it felt like kind of my advice for finances. It was, you know, because he. Let me give you a specific example. He talks about why he recommends people pay the smallest debt off first right. and not the one with the highest interest rate. And he says, because if we were doing math, we wouldn't be having this much debt already, right? But it's not a math issue. It's a behavior issue. So I'm trying to fix the behavior, which is, okay, if we pay off this one, we feel like we get a win and yeah. we you know, do the debt snowball, whatever. Yeah. I approach you know, fitness the same way. This oh. isn't a math problem. No. We know what we need to do. Yeah. It's a behavior problem. So yeah. trying to rewire somebody from bad behaviors, that's where we need to start. And I think people, I get it. It's hard to take responsibility for, for where we are. And of course, yes, some, I just talked about it. Obese people are, are, are more likely to fidget less subconsciously. Uh, they're more likely to have a high level of reward from mm -hmm. food compared to somebody who is lean. Like my wife always, my wife always jokes. She's like, thank God. I'm at, my wife is a foodie. She's like, thank God I'm active. Because if I, <laughs> I can't wait to have her on here. <laughs> yeah, she's like, thank God I'm active because if I wasn't, I'd be 500 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So my wife is very active. I never see her sit still. She actually has a, like a treadmill at her desk, you know, like one of those standing treadmills to work from um, because, you know, she's a foodie. She gets a high level of, like, I just look at the way she looks at food and I wish she would look at me that way. You know, I know that like, Elaine, it's like, you know, <laughs> sorry, honey, I'm just kidding. She's in the other room. I'm sure she can hear me. But I always joke that it's, you know, pictures of food, cats, food, or sorry, Lane, pictures of food, cats, food, you know? <laughs> so, uh, but she, she, and she has said this. She's like, I wish I was like, like, she looks at me, she's like, you don't give a shit about food. <laughs> I'm like, no, I like food, but it's not like I'm not thinking about, you know, for hours what I'm going to make for dinner. You know, that's not, but some people that's, that's really like, they get a really high level of reward from food. So just looking at an obese person saying, oh, you're fat, lazy, you know, this and that, it's not, that may be partially true. Like part of it could be laziness. But also, there, it's important to have empathy because just you know, berating somebody is not going to help them, right? No, no, and also, I came across a study, very interesting. They found that uh, they surveyed, I think it was 100 obese women, and they found that 60 of them had been sexually assaulted during their lives. Mm -hmm. And some of them, when they interviewed them, said, I got big so that people wouldn't touch me or that um, you know, people, uh, so that I would feel like I could defend myself, like just being bigger that I was like, I could, that I would be uh, more intimidating to a man, you know, that sort of thing. So again, yes, the nuts and bolts are eat more or eat, <laughs> whoops, the nuts and bolts are eat less, move more. Right. But I think the emphasis needs to be on what habits can we make to achieve that? Because just telling people that is not really a helpful 
it's not really super helpful. No. Do you have time for one more question? Sure. Okay. Um, and I'm just purely selfish and asking this for myself. <laughs> Most of this is all for me. I just get to share it. Go for it. Okay. So I'm going to come from the perspective that I don't have an understanding of what I'm allowed to, I'm going to ask you about. And it's sure. just, peptides have had a great deal of, of effect in my life as far as reversing autoimmune condition and healing the gut and stuff like that. But I also know the same kind of thing exists there. I've had people say things like thymosin alpha and thymosin beta might be great. And there are things that can make your whole body hurt. It's just, that's your physiology and being willing to say, this doesn't work for me. You know, where something low dose on one realm, you might need a higher dose on the other. First of all, I'd love your just your brief thing on how you feel about peptides, and it's actually a fascinating study to me. But I'm I'm definitely not an expert, so I'm really intrigued on your findings if you have any on peptides and stuff. The other thing is, do you think that people don't exercise that right in their own life to say, "Hey, this isn't working. Mm. This doesn't work for me," even though you're paying this hormone specialist or doctor or somebody who specializes in stem cells or whatever, and it doesn't work. It's the same kind of thing with business or diet or finance. I mean, do you think that sometimes people pull back because they hired the expert and then they feel like a failure if it didn't work as opposed to maybe it's your physiology? I think that experts fail us more than our physiology fails the experts, if that makes sense. Um, I think also most people, I have been unimpressed with a lot of doctors and uh, medical professionals who provide nutritional advice <laughs> or you know hormone therapies and that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm not saying they're all bad. That's, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that on the whole, when somebody comes to me and says, well, I saw this, uh, you know, like a, a naturopath or I saw a hormone specialist or I saw this, my first thought is, Oh boy. You know, now again, I've had, I have had people who have provided good recommendations that I have seen. So I don't want to pigeonhole uh, those groups of people. Um, but uh, one of the things that I thought was kind of a really interesting, um, this is kind of a little bit broader, but I'll bring it back to what we're talking about. Um, somebody said, I just don't know who to trust right? Like there's so many opinions out there and this person has credentials and this person has that. It's, it's a really big problem because we're, as humans, we're pretty good at like when you talk to somebody for a while, for a little bit, you usually know pretty quickly whether or not they know more than you on a subject, right? Mm -hmm. So um, if you sit down with somebody like, well, you know, within a reasonable amount of time, you'll know like kind of where you stand compared to them. What we are really terrible at doing is of two people who have more knowledge than us about a subject, which is the more knowledgeable of the two? Mm. We're really bad at deciphering that. Mm. So that's how people were able to create confusion because if you're looking at two people who know more than you argue, you can't even decide who's winning that argument because you just you, you, you don't even have the wherewithal to be able to examine their, their claims. Mm. So I think that's one of the big problems. So people say, well, I, you know, I, the wherewithal to say it's not working for me. I think that part of here's here's part of it. 
when people choose an approach, whether it's dietary or stem cells or whatever it is, and I've, I've looked at some of the literature on stem cells because I considered it from my hip years ago and I decided against it because it was really, I just wasn't that impressed with the literature. Mm-hmm. Um, it seemed about 50-50. Um, so, and 50-50 could just be random chance. So mm-hmm. I mean, again, maybe it does do something. I could be wrong, but- um, There's different ways to do it. It's like- right. <laughs> And that goes to a larger, broader argument of actually placebo. And I'll talk about that here in a minute because that'll blow people's minds. Yeah, it will. Um, I think when people like, so they go to a doctor who's known for doing a certain method or they go here with does a certain method. People don't typically go there with the open-mindedness of, okay, this might not work, so I'll try it. They go in there already kind of having bought in, right? For people, people are usually, even people who are not frugal, we're actually usually pretty stingy with our money. Like our, our data shows that it's about 12 contacts before somebody even purchases anything we have. So somebody mm-hmm. could come to my page, be like, wow, PhD nutrition, this and that, whatever. But they're not going to buy my stuff. Not for a while. Not until they trust me. Right. Yeah. So by the time we go to somebody, usually we already trust them. Now the one caveat to that is if somebody you trust recommends that person, you are much more likely to trust them and it bypasses everything, right? So that's why word of mouth is so powerful in the marketing world. Right. Um, so that's why we have problems abandoning those methods because we already attach the results to them because we believe that we're going to get those results. And that speaks to a larger thing about placebo as well. So when we, I, I think this will blow some of your listeners' minds just how powerful the power of suggestion is. So when people say, well, this thing worked for me, or I did this and this worked, that means nothing to me. Like it, now, in, in, when I say that, it means, it means nothing to me in terms of, will I recommend this to other people on a broader level? I only use empirical data for that. And here's why. There was a recent study where they gave, they looked at caffeine, okay? So we know that caffeine improves performance. There's a lot of data to show that. So they had four groups of people. They had one group of people, they, they were going to have them do um, exhaustive uh, cycling on a bike. Right. One group did not get caffeine and were told they didn't get caffeine. One group didn't get caffeine, but were told they got it. Uh, one group got it, were told they didn't get it, and another group got it and were told they got it. Do you know that it did not matter whether or not they got caffeine? What matters is what the researchers told them. <laughs> I believe it. So now people will hear that and they'll say, well, does that mean caffeine doesn't work? No, no, It just means that your beliefs about what caffeine does are much more powerful than what it actually does. Yes. Now I'm going to tell, tell you another way more compelling uh, study and story. There was a study done where they looked at uh, ghrelin levels. It was part of a broader study, but the, the, the one thing I want to point out is ghrelin because it'll make sense. So ghrelin is a hormone that makes you hungry, essentially. Hmm. So... Um, they looked at people who uh, they're based on their genetics. So their physiology actually being different were either high or low secretors of ghrelin, right? So we would expect that high secretors. How do you spell it? Ghrelin? Uh, G-H-R-E-L-I-N. Okay. So they looked at people who based on their, their genetic code, essentially were either high secretors or low secretors of ghrelin. And then they randomly told them one or the other. So meaning you had people who had low ghrelin, who were told they had high ghrelin and people who had high ghrelin and were told they had low ghrelin and people who had low ghrelin told they had low ghrelin and people who had high ghrelin told they were high and high ghrelin. Do you know that not only did their subjective 
feelings of hunger changed based on what they told them, their actual levels of ghrelin changed. <laughs> so if they were low, if they had the genetics for low ghrelin secretion and they told them that they were high, their ghrelin went up. Oh my God. So, their physio- so we used to think that the brain was kind of like separate from this bag of meat, right? And the brain <laughs> just controlled everything that went on in the bag of meat. And the only thing the bag of meat did was just send signals to the brain to tell it what's going on. Now we know that everything's integrated. Your, yeah. The way you think can change your physiology. Yeah. Now I'm not saying that you can suddenly grow wings and become a bird and fly just because no. you believe you can. That's insane. <laughs> but you can see significant changes in your physiology based on uh, just the way you think. Also, your body also can change the way your brain works as well. So it goes both ways, right? We know the gut microbiota communicate with the brain as well. So be very careful conflating uh, it worked for me as being actual evidence. And I'll give you one more example of that. So I hurt my back really badly a few years ago. Right. And um, I worked with a, a gentleman named Stu Miguel, who's a, um, a renowned world expert in back pain. And I went through my recovery and whatnot. Now, McGill has uh, some detractors and some people say, well, you know, some of this is nocebo or placebo or whatever. Um, so I did his method and I got better. And people <laughs> asked me about it. I've watched people, squatting and deadlifts and like, holy crap. <laughs> yeah, so I went from being not able to walk no. legitimately for a few days to this past year, I deadlifted 727 pounds and squatted uh, 666 pounds at nationals. So... Um, People ask me, well, maybe I should do that. It seemed like that really worked for you. And I, I, my response is always, maybe. maybe. I don't know because I don't have a control group. Maybe I would have gotten better if I just had done nothing, right? So not only did I do those exercises he told me to do, but I also stopped lifting. I also stopped loading my spine for six months, right? Mm -hmm. So just to give you another example, um, back surgeries, okay? So when it comes to back surgeries... They find on the whole, actually, let me give you a better example, meniscus surgeries. Mm. So they did a study where they looked at outcomes over the long term with people who had a torn meniscus, whether they got it repaired or not repaired. So they looked at people who had either a surgery, the actual surgery, or a sham surgery. So a sham surgery is where they open you up, but they don't do anything, right? Yeah. And it was, so, it was even so controlled that the surgeon didn't know whether or not he was doing the surgery until he walked into the operating room and got an envelope. And he opened the envelope and they told him, okay, did you know they had no difference in outcomes? So what mattered was what they believed. So again, I'm not saying like if, for example, you tear your bicep and it retracts all the way up to your shoulder, you're not going to be able to be like, grow back and, and have it grow back. Like you, that's something that's got to be fixed. Right. But the human body is incredibly adaptable and very subject to the power of suggestion. So Again, what I, what I would, the, what, the thing I would take from people is be very careful about whose claims you believe. Right. Um, people will say, well, drink this tea and you'll lose weight. And my, well, I did it and I did this. Well, maybe, right? Like the power of placebo, it doesn't mean people are lying. It just means that when you believe something, it is much more likely to work. So that's why I deal with, I, I tell people I don't deal with feelings unless it's my personal life. Yeah. I don't deal with beliefs unless it's religion. Yeah, yeah. 
Gotcha. And uh, I don't give a damn what worked for you in terms of what <laughs> I recommend to other people. Now, yeah. if it worked for you, great. And I'm not saying don't do it because, hey, if you feel like it worked, fabulous. But yeah, just you said that if it's working for you, that's part of your success. Right. Because right. it's, it's working for you. But I mean, the same token, like, again, and I don't know exactly kind of the finance stuff you do, but there are people who have gambled big with single stocks and done extremely well. Yeah. On the whole, that's a really poor investing model. Very much. You know what I mean? So people could say, well, you can do the same thing. You say, well, it worked for me. Okay. Well, we know for most people who don't get lucky and don't win the lottery, uh, because that's what it is when you're playing single stocks, it's kind of the lottery. Yeah. Yes. We know that for the most part, it's having a diverse portfolio, you know, investing in good mutual funds and that kind of stuff where you're, you're and, and you're maybe playing some single, if you've got enough overall wealth, playing some single stocks, you know, but not, yeah. you don't want to be fully invested in that sort of thing. So um, that's kind of the same comparison I would make, right? That's Is so that, good though. Because like I'm playing with my E-Trade app this week. At the end of last week, I had lost like almost $700 on investing in airlines very small investment, like 10 grand. And yet I did, I completely forgot about it. I was super busy and logged in yesterday and found out I had made $1,100. So yeah. if I had logged out, went, this is horrible. I'm losing so much money, but I yeah. didn't just five more days. Yeah, I hear you. Well, that's, that's the thing with investing is if you're going to, well, this is away from the fitness thing, but if you're going to invest in single stocks, I like, I've done it before, but it's more like I have this money. I don't, if I lose it all, it doesn't break me. Yes. I'm just going to, I'm going to buy when it reaches a certain point as low. And when it reaches a certain point and yes. high enough, I'll sell it. Otherwise I'm not going to touch it. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's the same thing with when I, if I ever go gamble, like I will gamble very rarely, but I'll just take like a certain amount of money in cash. Yeah, yeah. I don't, that I, that not that I don't care about, but that I, and I say, if I double it, I leave. Yeah. If I lose it all, I leave. Yeah, that's yeah. it. And that's I don't take my debit cards. I don't take anything like that. I just take that, right? And yeah. so that's, that's yeah, that's kind of the, the thing. But you don't want to make your whole, like, I think people with addictive personalities have, have problems going from one to the other and you kind of choose your addiction. But like, if you start, you know, let's say you did that, that single stock and you made five grand and you go, well, if I had invested a hundred grand in this, I'd have, you know, yeah. You know, and it's like, yeah, but you change your, uh, now here's where it goes back to diet. Yeah. But you change your behavior when that happens. Yeah. Right? Cause if you've got so much of your wealth invested in this one thing and it starts dropping and you, you're more likely to do something stupid. Yeah. Yeah. You know? uh, so same thing with diet nutrition, be, be, uh, choose your tools. Don't, you know, everything's tools in a tool belt. I don't poo poo any one single methodology. Typically mm. um, everything's tools in a tool belt. Find the, the, the kind of restriction that can work for you yeah, in yeah. terms of your individual psychology, which is probably actually more important than your physiology yeah. um, and, and what you can sustain. And that's the, that's the most important thing. Being this, little, this is a marathon, not a sprint. This is so good. And I, you're really good at detoxing people from diet scams. <laughs> you're, yeah, really, I, uh, you're the detox doctor. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm the anti-detox detox doctor. Yeah, it's, uh, it is. It is. It is funny, but it's 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 the same thing. People, you know, we we want to believe that there's a, a quick way to to get to what we want, you know. But it's kind of been to know, like having gone through a long career in lifting weights and seen just how hard it is to build muscle, to build strength, and how long it takes. I find that quite liberating, actually. 
because I know when I get into something, it's gonna be much harder than I think it's gonna be. Mm-hmm. And like, like one of my, my hobbies is fishing, you know? And it's, it's kind of like, so I know not to ask the questions to my, like I have friends who are in the fishing industry who are some of the top, top anglers. I don't ask them like, hey, what lure should I use? Like what's best? Cause I know what they're gonna say. They're gonna be like, well, what's the wind like? What's, the, what's this, what's the tide doing? What's the water clarity, you know, this kind of stuff. Um, so I just try to pick up concepts from them, you know, and, but I also realized that, you know, if I really wanted to be a good angler, it's going to take me a long time. Yeah. And yeah, some days I go out and I get lucky, you know what yeah. I mean? And I, I, I run into it, but I've seen what the preparation that goes into people who are really good anglers, mm-hmm. the preparation that goes into that. And so that's the same thing I think with anything, right? If you're going to be good at it, you're going to suck at it first. And I think, um, yeah. One of the funniest uh, things I heard about that was uh, uh, Joe Rogan talking about being a comedian. Yeah. He was sitting around. I forget who he was talking to, but they were talking to another comedian. He's like, everybody sucks at first. Everybody. <laughs> He's like, you know, nobody goes up the first time and just, oh, uh, Chris D'Elia. Yeah, yeah. Nobody goes up the first time and absolutely crushes it. He's like, everybody has had the experience of standing on stage and had a quiet room while they tried desperately to get them to laugh. And the, the best they're getting is like a small chuckle. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think that, that understanding that and when you get into something, understanding it's going to take a long period of time, like just accept that. And, and that's okay. Like that's, I think, I think the problem is, is that in the industry, fitness industry creates the expectation, hey, it will be easy. You can right. do it in six weeks, eight weeks, 12 weeks. So then when it takes you much longer, you get disheartened and quit. So I'm telling everybody listening right now, it's okay that it's going to take a long time. Yeah. That's fine. That's normal. And it's normal to have setbacks. It's normal to feel frustrated. Right. And the one thing I'll leave you guys with is I tell this to everybody. Don't worry about motivation. Mm. Motivation does not need to enter an equation. I hear people say this all the time. Well, I'm just, I just wish I had your level of motivation. If you think I'm motivated every time you go in the gym, every time I go in the gym, you're out of your mind. In fact, I'm probably more often not motivated than I am motivated. Now, overall, I enjoy, I enjoy training, but there are some days where my body feels like crap and I'm just like, oh, I do not want to squat today. <laughs> but I always look at it like brushing my teeth. I don't have to fire myself up to brush my teeth in the morning, right? Why? Well, because I know that if I don't put in the amount of work I need to on my teeth, they're going to look like crap and they're going to feel yeah. like crap and they're going to be unhealthy. <laughs> It's the same thing with your nutrition and exercise. Motivation doesn't need to enter into it. You, if, you, if there's something you want, if there's a goal you want, there's a certain amount of work that's going to be required. And you need to put in that work, whether or not you're motivated or not. Uh, Jocko Willink calls having it discipline rather than motivation. Yeah. It's discipline. And I would go a step further in saying it's habits. Mm-hmm. So you just make it part of your day. You just decide, this is part of what I do. And so I was, uh, I was married previously before Holly. Uh, mm-hmm. My wife, my ex-wife and I had a very different relationship. Um, so I did, I'll just put it this way. I didn't really do much cleaning. Okay. So um, when Holly and I first got together and she moved over um, after about three weeks or four weeks of being here, she looked at me one day and she's like, honey, I love you. I don't know if you realize this, but I work too. So it would be nice if I didn't have to clean up your mess in addition to working. Right. <laughs> So I was just not somebody who was used to having the habit of cleaning, right? 
And so it's still, I'm not great at it. I'm never going to be like the most, because I'm not, I'm not anal retentive like that. Like if I have a few, little bit of mess, it doesn't bother me. But what I had to start doing was every morning in the habit, okay, and I get up, I empty the dishwasher, I load it with any dishes that are in the sink, I clean off the countertops, this and that. And now I don't, I'm not like motivated to do that in the morning. I don't like doing it, but I also understand, hey, happy wife, happy life. Certain amount of work required for happy wife. So I don't need to be motivated. This is just part of discipline. So I, I look at it like um, it's like cleaning your teeth or cleaning your counters. You know, you just, you just do it. Don't worry about motivation. But here's the funny thing. When you have discipline, the motivation comes after that. It does, yeah. Chakras, it's so good. I could talk to you for another couple hours. I can't <laughs> Holly and... Uh, I'm going to ask Holly about the dishes and how much hotter Lane looks after the dishes are done versus. <laughs> <laughs> well, she's actually, it's funny. Um, uh, my wife is a very, very attractive woman. Um, and I've she's actually had people done. say, yeah, I've actually had people say like, out. how did you, how did you swing that? Like I actually was, I was, I tell this story all the time. I was on a, I was on a plane one time. I don't get offended anymore. I, I, I was on a plane one time and she, we both got up to go to the bathroom. And um, I think it's probably not that she's attractive because there's plenty of those, but it's also that she's very, very smart and hardworking. That's pretty rare. Mm -hmm. um, so we both get up to go to the bathroom and she walks in, the stewardess looks at me and she goes, like, are you with her? And I'm like, yeah. And she goes, really? I was <laughs> like, damn. <laughs> so, but I, I joke that I found the one super, uh, super attractive woman who really likes nerds. So that's, <laughs> he actually would find me hotter discussing a scientific study than probably anything else out there. Yeah, yeah, the sapiosapien for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I just love the way you guys, your energy together, the way you banter and love at each other, dissect topics. It's amazing. Tell my listeners where, what do you want to share with them? Because I know you've got so many great things. I want you to tell me what is the best thing that you found that will help. So go buy all my stuff. Uh, <laughs> I agree. <laughs> uh, I put a lot of free content out there. So I'll start with that. Um, if you want to consume my free content, um, some of the best places to do that are Instagram. So uh, uh, Instagram and YouTube are some of my best platforms, I think. I'm also on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. And you can find me uh, at BioLane at all those locations. Um, and then my website is BioLane.com. Uh, if you're interested and on biolane.com, we do have a, uh, a, um, a membership site where you can get uh, workouts and premium content. We're actually also working on a, a research review that's going to be coming up. So if you would like to know more about research that's out there, but you can't read it for yourself, we're going to have uh, that going to be coming out on the website. Um, probably the most exciting thing that we have out now is our new app, which is a nutrition yeah, yeah. coaching app. Holly and I and our friend Keith Crocker, who's a dietitian and one of our coaches as well, uh, we designed the algorithm for this app. So basically it is a nutrition coach, right? So you yeah. give it your information. It not only tells you what to do in terms of your nutrition, it will adjust it based on how you respond and what your goals are. And it's very good. Uh, it's been out less than a month and we're almost at 10,000 subscriptions. So we're, it's killing it. Um, Tom. Uh, it's, uh, sorry, uh, Carbon Diet Coach. And that's available on iOS and Android. So if you just search Carbon Diet Coach, you'll find it. Uh, our website is joincarbon.com. 
Um, I, 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 and that is $9 and 99 cents a month. So if you've ever needed nutrition help, but you, you feel like you, you can't afford that, or you don't want to commit that kind of finances to it, or you don't feel comfortable checking in with a person. Uh, this is a great option for you guys. Um, also my educational books are educational books. Um, you can find biolanestore.com. Mm-hmm. And that's where we have our books, Fat Loss Forever, which I, I think you said you have read. Um, and I think what we're talking about today, a lot of this is covered extremely detailed in my book. Mm-hmm. Um, that is my fat loss manifesto. It's what I'm so proud of. It's probably one of the most proudest things I'm, uh, I've done. My wife and I also have a book together called The Reverse Dieting Guide. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, what else am I missing? Allie's got the most incredible cookbook that you literally yes, can yes, eat that's good chocolate and drink wine. <laughs> yeah, so if you, yeah, that's a great point. So my wife has several cookbooks out there. So if you're looking for ways to be able to stick to a little bit lower calories, but still not have to sacrifice a ton of taste, and you're a foodie like her, she has a, a couple of great recipe guides. One is called Food That Fits Your Macros, and then her most recent one is called the Contest Prep Recipe Guide. But it doesn't have to be used for contest prep. It can be for anybody, um, yeah. and, and those are great. So, yeah, we, we, we try to put as much content out there. And then as far as um, if people feel like they need a little bit more support, um, they, they are interested in personal coaching. Uh, we don't do so much coaching anymore, but our team of coaches is excellent. Um, we have between us, I think six bachelor's and four master's degrees in our coaches. Um, Very, very good. Very, uh, very learned. Um, So they're uh, team bio lane and you can follow them on Instagram as well as team bio lane. Great content they put up and um, you can find their information on biolane.com in the coaching tab. So if you feel like you need a little bit more uh, help with that sort of thing, highly recommend that. It's amazing. Thank you so much. Just, for all the time you've not only here, but everything that you've done in, you know, trying to find out for yourself and figuring this stuff out and helping us so that we can accelerate our learning curve and not have to go through all the pitfalls because of figuring it out. And I just, I just, I'll just say this. I love your heart. I love your persona. I love your energy. I just love what you guys are about. Your anomalies in my book. And oh, I you. love that. And so Thanks again and look forward to seeing Holly and even having you back on the podcast. Absolutely. You have to have her on the podcast. You, I, I will. Yeah. She's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I always say that I made all the mistakes so you guys don't have to. So hopefully that information can help you guys out. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome.